It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 19th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The murder and mutilation of a 17-year-old boy in Drogheda almost two years ago was an act of terror beyond belief and most people's ability to stomach. Keen Mulready Woods was killed because of his involvement with one of two local feuding gangs. His body was dismembered. It took two months before all of his partial remains were discovered by investigators. His limbs were first discovered in a bag lying on a street in a housing estate in Kulak. That was on the 13th of January 2020. On the 15th of January, the boy's head and his hands were discovered in a burnt-out car in Ballybock. It wasn't until the 11th of March that Keane's torso was discovered in Rathmullen Park in Drogheda. Keane Mulready-Wad's murder came after 18 months of violence that began with a gang leader being shot six times at a halting site in Drogheda. Knife, gun and petrol bomb attacks became commonplace. Beatings, attempted murders and a number of murders followed but this was one step too far. People demanded change. Government promised to act. The Minister for Justice asked former Probation Service Director Vivian Guerin to look at the problems associated to drugs in the region as well as the violent gangs who sold them, leaving locals feeling like hostages to their feud, caught in the middle of the two gangs, prisoners in their own hometown. The Guerin report made over 70 recommendations when it was published in January. In July, a report on the implementation of those recommendations was published. The Drogheda Implementation Board was formed. Martin O'Brien of LMETB was appointed to coordinate between agencies, while Michael Kyo, a former senior civil servant, was appointed to chair the board. Little has been said publicly about the work of the Drogheda Implementation Board since it was established in July. But speculation has been mounting about how its work may be resourced and what funding will be available to it through the budget announced last week. I think there's a big misconception out there about us receiving funding. Uh, We have received absolutely no funding whatsoever. Uh, Very little communication since last April between the HSE and ourselves. That's Jackie McKenna of FASEN, the Family Addiction Support Network, speaking to me last week. Both FASEN and the Red Door Project will continue to wait for news of funding. When we contacted the HSE last week about funding for local addiction services, it said allocations will be made 
in the coming days. So we hope for good news on that front shortly. We also made contact with uh, the Department of Justice and asked what funding will be available for implementation of the Guerin Report recommendations and the Department tell us that Budget 22 provided a €2 million Community Safety Innovation Fund for community safety projects and that the Department will be seeking applications for these projects shortly. Let's speak uh, to three TDs based in Drogheda about all of this. Imelda Munster of Sinn Féin, Jed Nash of the Labour Party and Fergus O'Dowd of Fine Gael. Good morning to each of you and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Fergus O'Dowd, uh, there's no guarantee, I suppose, that any of that two million will go to Drogheda, but at the same time, there is a great opportunity here for Drogheda, is there not, in that the government has promised that there'll be a special focus on Drogheda, whereby departments and state agencies will prioritise funding applications for projects in Drogheda and related to the Drogheda implementation plan. Yes, Michael, you're absolutely right. In fact, the special status which the government decision gives to Drogheda means that any application made through the implementation committee will get priority for government funding. So, obviously, the Department of Justice and the Department of Education, Department of, you know, every single government department uh, is open to any application that comes through the implementation board. And I think, notwithstanding, obviously, issues around the coordinator who was to be appointed, uh, was interviewed, was offered a job and decided not to take it. The good news there, I understand, is that the coordinator, the, the interviews are taking place and I've been informed that uh, hopefully that job will be filled by the end of October. And that will mean you'll have a full-time person in Drogheda who will be actively pursuing all of the community groups and all of the departments through the Implementation Committee to make sure that applications are approved and got ready and that funding is provided where it is so badly needed okay. and identified for. All right. Uh, and that glitch, uh, that problem in recruiting uh, that coordinator, the slow process uh, in terms of getting this board together, I believe uh, they met for the first time uh, last yeah. week. Uh, yeah. is, is there a risk that we've missed the boat because uh, the ads are going to go out shortly for applications uh, and we're not no, in a position? No, I, I don't think so, Michael. I, mm. think, I think the key thing is um, Minister McEntee, who has been, as you know, on, on maternity leave, will be returning shortly. And I've been in communication with her uh, and I understand that she will be draw- visiting Drogheda as soon as she'll be mm. back in two weeks. She will be prioritising this report and will visit and will will, in- you know, will interact with all of mm. you know the people about this issue. Mm. And Michael, you know, um, nothing is ever perfect, and obviously this is all founded on an awful evil criminal act. Uh, but a lot of things have happened uh, in relation to the town since then. Yeah. And obviously the guardian numbers have increased very significantly. A lot of people are before the courts on very serious charges. Um, but we have to deal with the community. And I think one of the issues that I feel strongly about is that notwithstanding the implementation board, I believe that we need change on that board. Okay. I believe that we need community groups on that board uh, to be to be part of that decision making. Mm. Because this, if this isn't a, a bottom-up approach, it's not going to work. Okay. And I think that notwithstanding the excellent civil servants on it, uh, we do need <clears throat> local people 
sitting in, mm. and you've been. And I believe four subcommittees have been established, and maybe we can talk about that in a minute. I'm not sure that anybody would disagree with much of what you've just said. Let me go to uh, the other TDs on mm. the line. Uh, Imelda Munster, uh, thanks for joining us uh, as well. Uh, there is this €2 million Euro opportunity, and it has to be seen as an opportunity if a special focus is going to be given to Drogheda and applications from the region will be prioritised as a result. Uh, but uh, change is very slow in terms of getting all of this together. Uh, are you concerned that we might miss the boat? Uh, because I'm not aware of any applications that are, are live and ready to go and uh, they're going to start advertising this funding very shortly, it seems. Yeah, that's that's the concern there, Mike. But um, there's very little known about this fund. It's scarce on, on detail. Um, from my information, this information is based on the success of the Criminal Assets Bureau. They... they Assets are funding. We don't know. I presume it's cash. I presume it's not assets seized by cab because that can take years before the the state has possession. So I'm presuming it's it's cash. But again, it's not guaranteed funding. And I know I know what you said. And Fergus said it there. The government uh, that have promised, and Fergus said it there. The special focus in Drogheda. But you have to ask, as it stands now. Where's the special focus in relation to getting that funding to the Family Addiction Support Network? I mean, well, that's going through the, the yeah, but that's going through the HSE, and they're they're it's coming and it's coming, and they still haven't got it. Yeah, no, and that's that is a valid point. But yeah. ju- just just to reiterate what we said at the start, uh, that's uh, being handled by the HSE. We're talking about two different bodies here: the HSE yeah. and the Department they still of Justice. Haven't got it as yet. But no, they haven't. And the HSE, we have been in touch with the HSE. They say, uh, I think that they're hoping uh, to make allocations this week, or to decide on those allocations this week or next week, if not. That was yeah. the understanding we got from them. Yeah. Well, special focus should mean priority and mm. we were told Drogheda would be prioritised but the big concern is Mike, that, that 2 million is for the whole state, mm. that's right across the state, so it's not guaranteed mm. funding, no. it's, it's just not and it should be based on the need of, of a community mm. and by God Drogheda has suffered you know, because mm. of, of the drugs feud, we suffered more than yeah. than most other communities. And we all and remember the march yeah. after that murder terrible murder two years ago almost it'll be two years in January uh, but uh, I mean we're talking uh, about all of the promises that were made then and you're right to make the point that FASN has not received any funding uh, but hopefully that will change uh, for the better in uh, the But if I could just say Mike too just in the context of the overall problems right given that this Mm -hmm. 2 million is to be distributed right across the state and you're going to have community groups um, and projects applying all over, and one, you know, equally entitled as the next. But given that we were constantly told, and the whole Gearan report was commissioned, and it came out with the 70 recommendations, we were told to prioritise. It's not a lot of money in the pot in the first instance, and it should be based on the need of the community. And the Gearan report showed in black and white how Drogheda had suffered. So that's the concern, that it's not guaranteed funding, mm. and there isn't sufficient funding because it's to be given out right across the Okay, state. Jed Nash, what do you make of it? Um, <clears throat> people are watching um, <clears throat> this really, really um, closely, uh, Michael. Um, this whole initiative is potentially transformational um, for Drada, and, and indeed the initiative itself predates uh, the dreadful killing of Keane Mulready Woods. Uh, it was uh, late 2018 and across 2019 when I started to engage with the Department of Justice to... Um, Institute a, a multi-agency response to the problems that we've been f- facing in Drada for 
quite some time. So this isn't just going on two years, it's going on two and a half to three years. Um, when I met with the um, chair of the implementation board in early September, uh, Andrew Martin O'Brien, um, I explained to them that the people of Drogheda are watching this closely. Um, I explained as well that it is my job uh, as an opposition TD, uh, who's very invested in this process, um, given that I had to create it, uh, to you know hold government agencies and departments to account in terms of the funding that they allocate to Drogheda as per the Gearan um, report. And I did say very clearly that the people of Drogheda were expecting to see confidence-building measures. What do I mean by that? I mean that the early initiatives identified in the Gearan report and the very stark requirements of organisations working, for example, in the drugs area, they need to be met very, very quickly. Um, and I also said as well um, that uh, the Northside schools in Drogheda needed to get the equivalent funding that a Desh Band 1 school would get. And that has been, uh, to be fair, uh, delivered to those schools. And the evidence is that that funding, the additional resources that they have, is working uh, already. And to say as well, Michael, mm. just in, in recent days, it's been confirmed to me that progress has been made in relation to the Money More community um, hub. Uh, and I know that an architect uh, has been engaged as advising the organisation and that they are looking at similar projects across the country to see what uh, can be done uh, in Drogheda. Now, there isn't any clear budget line uh, announced last week uh, by any government department in terms of funding for uh, any initiatives that might apply to Drogheda. That was never going to be the case. In fact, that would be the wrong um, case, uh, wrong um, path to pursue because you would have then uh, a set amount of funding going to a town for a range of different projects and a competitive process. The key here is that government decided in July that any projects that would be coming the way of government departments uh, from Drogheda would be prioritised. Now, we will hold government departments to account hmm. uh, on that committee. Are you that were, is the key. Are you were aware of applications uh, that are, are uh, ready to be made? Uh, I'm aware of applications that are made routinely uh, by community organisations in Drogheda uh, that I would support. For example, there are a range of different sports capital grants applications by organisations in the north side of yep. Drogheda submitted in the normal way. And I would expect and have made the case to the Minister for Sport yep. uh, that they would be prioritised given okay, that so uh, the areas that they serve uh, are uh, areas uh, that have been um, affected by the feud and that where there are deep social economic mm. issues. Maybe that's, that's where all the kind of, Yeah, but maybe that, that's, that's where all of this will product. fall down. Yeah, but maybe that's where that's all the of this will... product that I expect. But maybe that's where all of this will fall down uh, because uh, where's something new, something that will uh, be different, something that will bring about change because it's different? And surely that should have been the work of this implementation board. Uh, and here we are now... Uh, what is it, three months on since the establishment of uh, that board, we're told that four subcommittees have been, for, uh, uh, have been formed and uh, they've uh, tried unsuccessfully to recruit a project coordinator. Uh, and that's it. Where's the work on the ground about coming up with projects uh, that will steer young people in a different rec- uh, direction so uh, that uh, applications could be made for funding to realise something like that being put in place? There, there, there is, to be fair, um, and I, I know this from uh, my ongoing engagement with the Department of Justice, other initiatives that that department are looking at that would prioritise Drogheda in a very kind of discreet way, um, and that's 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 to be welcomed. It is early days mm. uh, for the implementation board. But that being said, uh, I would like to see a lot more urgency, and in the normal course of my work, I deal with uh, NGOs and community organisations in this area day in, day out. Mm. What I'm hearing back from them is a sense of urgency uh, that they, they, they okay. need. Uh, what I'm hearing back as well is that they want to see this work. 
uh, they were invested in it as well. Uh, if it works uh, for them, it works for everybody. It works for Drada. Fergus uh, O'Dead. That, that should be our entire focus. Fergus O'Dead, would you like to see more urgency or, or would you ask uh, people like yeah, me absolutely. to be more patient? Yeah, no, I would like to see a lot more urgency. I've expressed my views a very strong uh, and forced away, I might add, uh, to, to the board itself. And I'm, I'm not happy uh, that they aren't uh, more proactive in terms of putting up a website. I think people need to be able to be involved. And I think the key thing is that my strong view is now that the community organisations that Jed referred to mm. there, and I know we all know who they are, uh, that they ought to be represented on the, on the board itself mm. and not a subsidiary bodies. Because I think, I think part of the problem, Michael, is that I don't know exactly what's going on. You don't know mm. the board. Well, we've asked Michael Kill, we've asked Minister Humphreys to come back three months after she launched this, which she said she would, sure. uh, and we're still waiting a response on that. We asked Michael Kyo to come on numerous Kyo. times. And do you know what? I really can't believe that Michael Kyo hasn't spoken to local media, whether it's this programme or somewhere else, yeah. and said... Well, I would agree. He should. But just to make the point, I mean, I, I th- I th- I'd like to see him here saying, um, you know, I'd like some ideas. I'd like to hear from the people of Drogheda. Yeah, we all have to be accountable, Michael, yeah. and he must be accountable, as his board must be. And the way to do that is to open up the process, because if it's not transparent and open, you'll have programs like this, mm. because we don't know exactly what's going on. And to involve the community. And, and that, is, yeah. that is, to me as a government yeah. uh, deputy, that is very unsatisfactory. And I said earlier that I, I, I and I do know that Minister... You know, that you spoke about Minister Humphreys. She is mm. committed to it. But obviously, when Minister McIntyre comes back, she will be prioritised in Drogheda. And I think and I think that's what we all want. Mm. And, uh, and like Jed, I will hold these people to account just as much as he will. Mm. Because that's our job. Well, yeah. But, but, but I am very hopeful. I just want to make one point, Michael, yeah. for me. Mm. Yeah. That, that the funding from all government departments, not just the Department of Justice, is open to any application that goes through this board. Mm. So if there's an application in, in the youth and sports area yeah. it will go to that department yeah. like we do know already Department of Education responded to the crisis in, in, in one of our local schools with three additional teachers mm. so there has been there has been significant you know and a small development yeah. but by, by keeping the focus on it as you are doing Mm. That is what I want yeah. to do, and I know we can all agree on that. I, I, I think we're all hopeful, uh, and we have to be hopeful because uh, the problem has proven to be so serious uh, for people living in our community and in all of our lives. Uh, but uh, Imelda Munster, uh, are you like me? Would you like to hear some vision? Uh, and would you like to hear a, a call to the community to get involved in this action? There has to be, and I'm, to, be, to be honest, I mean, it's, I'm quite shocked. At, we got correspondence yesterday in relation to an update on the implementation board and uh, part of that correspondence said that uh, individual individual members had undertaken to set up the subcommittees as soon as possible and they also said they would seek representation from relevant bodies in particular local voluntary and community groups where appropriate now when i seen where appropriate Mm -hmm. i mean that has to be central we have to hear from everybody right across the board and they mentioned reference with Mm. with um meetings once a month. I mean, if this funding goes out mm. for, for applicate, an invite goes out, when it goes out, it could go out next week, could go out in a month's time. They need to be up and ready. They need to have regular mm. meetings, not monthly meetings, not on something as urgent as this. But you're right about the vision. We need, I mean, if we're to, to make contact with the youth in particular, mm. 
and young people coming up the ranks as well, you need to have something that grasps Mm. their attention, whether it's apprenticeships, training courses, but not just training courses, someone to go away with a certificate and means Mm. nothing at the Mm. end of the day, to equip them with skill sets. That's what Mm. it's all about. It's to take them out of that scene and to make sure that that avenue is not the only avenue that's ever open to to young people and and their communities. And that's what we need to see. And thus far, to be fair, I haven't seen any of that. And public discussion is paramount. Mm. And I mean, I would say, just uh, use the opportunity today to ask the chairperson, um, Michael Keogh, to come on to your show and speak about the vision. And there's an onus on him to do that because he's the chairperson of the Drogheda Implementation Board and we are the citizens of Drogheda and we want to know what the plan is, we want to know what the vision is, we want to know what the communication is and those subcommittees, the people in the voluntary and the community sector also, when we had a Zoom meeting with them there, um, it was before the, the summer recess, I think. They all said that they didn't want this to be a two-tier or three-tier system, that they want to be mm. at that table. I think everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet here. That's uh, uh, echoing what Fergus O'Dowd said earlier. And to Jed Nash, I think you'd echo it uh, further. Yeah, I mean, w- w- one of the key things in any, any you know, initiative like this is, is mm. communications. Um, there are some very, very good people, very skilled and experienced mm. and talented people um, involved. We have the plan. Uh, we need to see output and product from it mm. uh, very, very quickly. There's been some early confidence building measures there, as I described them, but um, some of the key ones uh, are left almost, I won't say unattended, mm. uh, but I've been disappointed uh, to see the level of commitment from one. Well, there's two, one there's two cohorts. There's two cohorts. Uh, ju- ju- just to, to put this here, there, I think there's two cohorts uh, that should be spoken to begin with. Uh, the women who bury their children and the kids who are at risk. Entirely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, they are key. We must also always be mindful uh, of those who have suffered because of this feud in Drada. And there are literally hundreds of people, if not thousands, who are on, we say, the, the fringes of this, who may have family members involved, may have been victims of drug debt intimidation, all of the desperate things that we know has gone on in our town over the last few years, and still goes on. Mm. Uh, but thanks to Angarda uh, Sheikana and the work of the local community, okay. uh, there is um, th- that, that that has been s- somewhat restricted okay. uh, we'll, over the last while. We'll come now, back to it when know, the ads we will go be out. Watching, yeah. We will be watching yeah. this very, very carefully, and it is my job as an opposition TD, uh, invested in this process, and who has always been invested mm-hmm. in this process, to make it work and to hold up okay. the department. We'll come back to it when the ads go out uh, for funding for the Community uh, Fund, uh, and we'll come back to it, uh, I'm sure, when the HSE makes its funding allocations uh, to addiction services locally. But thank you to each of you for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Labour Party TD, Jed Nash, Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, and Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, all three, are based in Drogheda. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health, uh, David Cullinan, is uh, to visit Our Lady's Hospital in Navan amidst concerns uh, that the emergency department is about to close in the hospital. And with that, as it said in uh, the HSE letter, there will no longer 
be the requirement for the ICU beds that exist in the hospital. Uh, David Cullinan is on uh, the line with us now. A very good morning to you. And of course, we do want to talk about Navin. Uh, before we do, can we talk briefly about what you expect to hear from the government today in terms of restrictions and boosters? Uh, because uh, I know that you've yet to get sight of the advice from Nafidan from NIAC, but I think you're calling for boosters for frontline health staff. Yes, listen, I think we have to strike a balance between opening up on the one hand, which I want to see, and, you know, people have had an horrendous 20 months, and there was an expectancy that we would see restrictions eased on the 22nd. So obviously there is that expectancy, and people want to see those restrictions eased. But also we have to keep people safe, and and what we're hearing is a range of measures, such as continued wearing of the face mask, uh, the rolling out of antigen testing, which, you know, we in Sinn Féin have been calling for for a long time, as part of the COVID search. So I think if that is what's put in, put in place, I think that puts us in a really strong position. And the key for all of us here is the very high levels of uptake of the vaccine that, that we have seen over the course of the last uh, number of months and year. And that has put us in a really, really strong position now to see reopenings. So obviously we have to wait and see the full and final detail of, of what is agreed and the government and cabinet will meet. But if there are infection control measures that need to be put in place in the short term, to allow for the flexibility of uh, restrictions being eased. I think people will see the sense in that. And there are sectors which have been closed, Michael, as you know, for Mm. far too long. Uh, We have to live with this pandemic. We have to live with uh, the virus. We have to move from a pandemic to an endemic at some point. And, And I think if we strike that balance between sensible infection control measures, but also allowing for reopening and then personal responsibility being key, I think that will be the best outcome that we can get from today. Okay, Uh, let's talk about uh, what has become a pantomime conversation uh, surrounding uh, the closure of uh, the emergency department in Navin. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, We're hearing conflicting stories about this. What's your understanding of the situation? Well, I agree it's a pantomime, and it, but it's very serious. It isn't, it isn't funny at all because it obviously has an impact on, on patients and the uh, current position on paper, it seems at least anyway, is that there will be a closure of the A&E and ICU services and a curtailment of critical care in Avon. And I think that would be a crazy situation when you consider the alternative options for people in Avon and people who use that hospital. They'd have to travel to Drogheda or to Conley Hospital in Dublin. And you might have uh, noticed last week, and hopefully the Minister would have noticed, that frontline staff in Connolly Hospital were protesting last week because of unsafe staffing levels in ICU. And it makes absolutely no sense then to be saying to people in Navan and elsewhere that we're going to close your services on the one hand and send you to hospitals which are which are already at full capacity and over capacity. It makes no sense. And the pantomime element of it is, on the one hand, the stated policy from the small hospitals framework is that the services will close. Uh, but then you have government ministers locally and uh, nationally saying something else and assurances given which are not worth the paper they are written on. So the person that we need to hear from is obviously the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Okay. And that follows a letter from the HSE to staff, uh, which says that the HSE board decided in July to close the emergency department in Navin and with that, the ICU beds. And uh, this is what Thomas Byrne, uh, Minister of State and local TD, had to say about that. Stephen Donnelly has decided to order the HSE not to proceed with this while we just see where we are, because we certainly have no information about transition plans, 
We have no information about what alternatives are there. We have no information about what uh, what, what, what the full plan is uh, on this. And, okay. and in case there was any doubt about what he was saying? I want to tell you what Minister Donnelly has decided, which is to tell the Board of the HSE not to proceed with this. Not to proceed. Very clear. That's the Minister's decision. We asked uh, the Department uh, to issue a statement on behalf of Minister Donnelly. Uh, the Department of Health uh, told us to go to the HSE instead, uh, which seems somewhat com- uh, peculiar, if not confusing, David Cullinan. It is confusing, and you know, people listening will hope that Thomas Byrne is right, uh, and that Minister Donnelly will do as he suggested, but there is no guarantee of that, and what people want to see is an absolute assurance from the lips of the Minister for Health that there will be no closing of the A&E services and the ICU services in the hospital. And it isn't just a temporary part, uh, part-time short-term solution that people are looking for here that Thomas Byrne suggested. We have to look at the medium to long-term needs of the people of Navin. And when you look at what's happening in hospitals elsewhere, uh, and obviously you can't have specialist hospitals in every county, but you have to have the bare minimum services available and especially emergency services where we can for people as close to where they live as possible. And if there isn't alternatives, and there is not, because mm. we know Drogheda Hospital is full to capacity, we know they won't be able to take patients from elsewhere. We know Conley is full to capacity. So there will be real concern, I would imagine, in Navin and the wider area in relation to the implications of this. And it isn't good enough that we have these kind of assurances from ministers on airwaves and I'm sure that your programme and others are following up as, as you've said with the HSE and the department and the minister are getting thrown from one mm. uh, section of the health service to the other we just need absolute clarity it's not difficult to give it it's not difficult for the minister for well, health the- to come out and very explicitly say this will not be closed well that's, that's it there was absolute clarity from Thomas Byrne but uh, we've asked uh, for the Minister uh, for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly, uh, to support that uh, and we've been told instead to go to the HSE. By the way, we've also made contact uh, with Minister Byrne uh, and explained the situation to him uh, that the Department cannot or will not issue a statement uh, supporting his claim that Stephen Donnelly has ordered the HSE uh, to stop this or halt this, as he put it. And you might have heard Anne Rabbit, who took a topical issues motion that was uh, proposed by mm-hmm. a number of, of, of TDs, including Johnny Gork and, and Darno Rourke from Sinn Féin as well last week or two weeks ago. And what Anne Rabbit said is exactly the same as Thomas Byrne. Listen, I, I've spoken to TDs in the constituency. I don't think there will be any closures. And then she read into the record of, of the doll the complete opposite. Uh, and the, the record that was read in was saying that a decision was made to close the service. Mm. And this type of confusion is absolute nonsense. So either the services are going to be maintained or they are not. It isn't rocket science. Mm. It's not difficult to hear the words from the lips and the mouth of Minister Donnelly himself. And I'm calling on Minister Donnelly to visit Navin to talk with hospital management. I'm sure they would want to meet with him and talk to campaigners, hear what their concerns are, and be very clear and very explicit about what his intentions are. Having second-hand information from backbench TDs or government ministers in constituencies isn't the same as having cast iron guarantees from the Minister for Health. That's what we need to hear. And I know there is huge uh, confusion and also huge concern in Avon. And understandably, you know, we've had our concerns in my own constituency in the world for the relation to healthcare and the potential of downgrading services. It's really emotive. Uh, people want to protect the very precious healthcare services, services that they have. Mm. They don't want to see a curtailment of services certainly, uh, and in many hospitals we need additional capacity. Uh, so what we're 
seeing here is an attempt to hold on to what you have and not lose precious services. So it comes back to what I said, Michael. It's mm. not difficult to deal with this. Uh, we want to hear it from the lips of the Minister and it's over to Minister Donnelly. Well, yeah, and I, I think there's also uh, the question of transparency. I mean, uh, if they are going to close it, uh, I'm sure they're not going to do it for the wrong reasons and maybe there's merit in doing it. Uh, but if it's the right reason, you would imagine that those who are making that decision would stand over that decision and explain that decision and be upfront uh, about it. Uh, when Anne Rabbit uh, spoke uh, to the TDs in the Dáil, she said that there would be a meeting with uh, Stephen Donnelly, Thomas Byrne and Damien English, the local government party TDs in County Meath, and that she would ask that the opposition TDs would be invited to it. Thomas Byrne then told us that several meetings had taken place, but the opposition, opposition TDs hadn't been invited. And that's all part of the confusion. And listen, Michael, as an opposition health spokesperson, I have to be responsible and pragmatic in terms of what's possible in healthcare. But we also have to look at what's reasonable and what's, and what's practical and what's needed. I don't see the sense in closing an A&E and closing ICU beds uh, in Navan when we have hospitals nearby which are stretched to capacity and sending patients to hospitals which are already overflowing. That makes no sense whatsoever and I think it will cause real anxiety and stress for people who use the hospital in Navan. Mm. For those who are making the argument that the services should uh, cease, they should make those arguments. My point is that as we speak today, the state of government policy from the small hospitals framework is that the services will go. Mm. You've seen statements sent to staff and letters sent to staff. Mm. You've heard the record that was, uh, the, the statement that was read into the record by uh, Minister Rabbit, mm. all saying the same thing. And then you have the complete opposite from Minister Rabbit seconds before she read the official statement into the record of the door, and then from Thomas Byrne. So it's not fair to create that type of confusion. And I think that there's one resolution, as I said, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's quite obvious. Let's hear from the Minister for Health. Once and for all, very loudly, very clearly, the service will not be lost. The service will mm. be protected and enhanced, as opposed to the mixed messages that people are getting at the moment. Yeah, and it's quite obviously a question for the Minister uh, as I see it anyway. It's obvious to me and maybe I'm missing something and maybe I'm wrong, uh, but if the Minister ordered the HSE, I think that was uh, the turn of phrase that Thomas Byrne used uh, when we listened back to him there, that he ordered the HSE uh, to stop any move to close the emergency department. If he did that, uh, surely that's a question for him rather than the HSE. Absolutely, and, and, and Minister Donnelly could have put that in writing to you in your station, and he, he could put that information on the public record. So it is quite suspicious that we're being told on the one hand that Minister Donnelly has done this, but we can't get clarity from the Minister's office. And if that instruction was given to the HSE, why can the HSE simply not say that was the instruction that was given? We're now acting on the instruction that was given, and this also comes back to the hospital group because the hospital group has a say in all of this as well. So it is confusing. It is difficult for people. Uh, people want the certainty and clarity on this, and, and all your listeners, I'm sure, do in the Navan area and people who use that hospital. And I think let's end the double speak and let's have one simple, clear, consistent message from the person who matters, the Minister for Health. Has he given that instruction to the HSE? And will that instruction be heeded? And will the services be maintained? That's very simple. Mm. They're the questions, and that's what we need answers on. Okay, we'll leave there. Thank you indeed for thank joining you us. Uh, you'll be visiting our ladies in Avon today as well. Uh, and thank you for joining us uh, this morning. David Cullinan, Sinn Fein's spokesperson on health, is a TD for Waterford. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks to Declan in Drogheda on the phone to us uh, saying having commissioned uh, the Giran report and recognising the need to to address the drugs war and the criminality in Drogheda, you'd hope that the money will be provided by the government to put the recommendations in place. This cannot be just a talking shop. We need to see real action. Surprised funding wasn't allocated specifically for this, Declan says. Thanks, uh, Declan, for that. uh, Another comment about that from Joanne who says uh, that uh, she wanted to commend the work of uh, the Gardaí. She's from Drogheda herself and she says there were some awful murders and terrible shootings that took place and terrible criminality for that matter. Arrests have been made and for the moment things do seem to have died down a bit, although it's probably still there lurking in the background. Uh, steps need to be taken to prevent our young people from being enticed into the drug scene. They need to be kept occupied and on the straight and narrow. So many families are affected by drugs and it tears families apart. It certainly does in many ways, uh, for that matter, Joanne. Thanks uh, for taking the time to call us and share your thoughts with us. Uh, thanks to Ray, who's been texting us uh, this morning. He says, so we cases and hospital numbers escalating and all the government are apparently going to do to address this is to not go ahead with some forms of reopening. How is that tackling the current problem? It's obvious that the current phase of restrictions aren't enough to halt this rise in numbers and people in hospital. So why aren't we putting in more precautions? If we stay as we are, then surely cases are going to rise. As we're hearing, it's uh, probably going to be a case of continuing on as we are with face masks and vaccine passports and possibly open nightclubs. There's nothing in place to tackle the current rise, says Ray. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing your thoughts. We'll have lots on what to expect from the government when it makes its announcements later. I think uh, we're expecting... Uh, to hear exactly what uh, the captain has uh, decided around noon today, but uh, we'll have lots of talk uh, before then on the programme uh, this morning. But let's turn our attention to Brinestown Wood, or at least to the second phase of uh, the housing estate, uh, which uh, should uh, have been completed in September. The Sunday Business Post reported this week that it won't be completed until February of next year at the very earliest, uh, and this is news uh, that has been relayed uh, from the developer to those uh, who have had mortgages on properties since March uh, and uh, had been hoping to move in in September. Uh, And the developer says uh, that it's uh, because the ESB has not carried out works. Uh, Let's uh, speak to Stephen McKee, Fianna Fáil councillor on Mead County Council. A very good morning to you, Stephen, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. This is undoubtedly of uh, terrible concern to people who have uh, their mortgage in place. Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, that's time sensitive. Well, good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Michael. Um, Issues like this really frustrate and ultimately delay housing delivery in the area, and they make it even a greater challenge for people to secure affordable homes. Because as issues like this arise and as delays, it actually um, increases the price of homes. Um, At a time of rising building material costs, it's particularly important that we do everything possible 
to cut out delays and increase efficiency. And I think what's needed here is certainly a sense of urgency and a greater um, a greater spirit of collaboration between all the parties, between the developer and ESB, uh, to ensure that these homes are delivered as soon as possible. Okay. Uh, just to mention, we've uh, made contact uh, with uh, the developer, but we haven't uh, had a, a response as yet. Uh, we made contact with uh, the estate agent uh, who told us uh, that they understand the issues, but they don't know what's at the root of it all and that it is an issue for the developer. Uh, the developer has said it's a, a problem with ESB uh, connecting these houses. We made contact with the ESC and we did hear from the ESB uh, and they say that the delay is due to site safety issues experienced by ESB Network's employees at the location. They say there's been a number of stop work notices uh, that have been issued to the developer over the past year. The Health and Safety Authority has been made aware and attended on-site to resolve some of uh, these issues and on each occasion that a stop work notice was issued, ESB Network subsequently resumed works on-site once that area was made safe. Uh, does that make sense to you? Do you understand what the ESB is saying? Do you know what the problems have been? No, those are contradictory messages, uh, Michael. I mean, the developer is essentially saying that they're waiting on the ESB, as I understand it, to remove overhead lines and then supply electricity to phase two. Now, I think there are just over 20 homes in phase two that are waiting to be connected, whereas ESB are citing, as you said, their safety issues on the site. So there, there's um, there's a lack of communication. There, there's there's an issue there. With, 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 we need to clarify exactly what's going on. Um, it's not clear at all between both ESB and developer um, what the issue is and how it can be resolved. From my point of view, I'm very keen um, for local families, and mm. some of those local families I know very well very anxious to move in, particularly ahead of Christmas. They've small children. Um, they've been able to secure mortgages, but those mortgages aren't secured indefinitely. Mm. And there, there is a time timeline on those mortgages. And I want to see those people and those families being able to move in as soon as possible, particularly ahead of Christmas time. And it's causing great anxiety to those people um, who have saved a lot of money. They've put down their deposits and with, with on the premise. I mean, Back in February, they were told they'd be in within five, six months, which is around now, uh, and they were planning ahead for that. So mm. it's particularly disappointing for those people, those families um, waiting on a new home, particularly in the times we're living in, Michael, where we, we have a housing crisis. We need to be uh, providing homes in a timely manner. And really what we need is we need all the state agencies, public and private, to work in far closer together uh, in order to, to ensure that, that the housing uh, is delivered in, in, a, in a timely fashion. All right, well, uh, the Sunday Business Post said it would be February at the earliest uh, that they won't be in for Christmas it'll be February before people will be able to move in but that is at the earliest uh, and it could be after that uh, by all accounts uh, and it's down to uh, the ESB uh, to finish cabling and substation works for phase two but that's not what the ESB says Uh, they're saying it's to do with site safety issues stop work notices have been issued the health and safety authority is, is aware and that safety is a priority for the ESB as well as uh, providing people with electricity uh, and they're prioritising both in equal uh, amounts. I think it's probably incumbent on the developer to respond to that statement from the ESB. Absolutely. And uh, what I want to see is both the developer and ESB working together. And I suppose this issue highlights also, Michael, 
general infrastructure issues in the area, whether it be the provision of, of ESB, but also water and broadband in a timely manner. I'm regularly uh, in touch with people who are, who are you know, d- delayed with broadband. And, and, and I know uh, the National Broadband Ireland, there's a report there uh, in the last couple of days showing mm. uh, the delays r- right around the country. And it's particularly bad in our area in East Mead as well. So I think there's, there's a general issue there with the provision of instru- infrastructure being delivered in a timely manner. Mm. I want to see ESB and the developer uh, putting their heads together, solve this as quickly as possible and for those families to be able to move in. Well, we know from uh, the paper that the developer is blaming the ESB because the Sunday Business Post says that he's uh, written uh, to those people who are due to move into these as yet to be completed housing units. Uh, You've probably seen that letter from the developer, Stephen. I don't know if you have, uh, but he seems to be saying that it's completely dependent on the ESB for the houses uh, to be completed by the end of February 22. If the ESB doesn't do what it's meant to do on time, then the houses won't be ready by February. Uh, But the ESB is saying, well, or at least you could read between the lines of uh, the ESB statement to say, well, if uh, these safety issues continue, uh, there's going to be further delays. And absolutely, I have seen that documentation, Michael, and it's unacceptable. And really, what we need is clarification. We need both the developer and ESB working together. Um, as I said, these delays don't do anyone any good at all. They actually mm. push the price of homes up, uh, and they delay uh, delivery of of vital homes for people in in a time where we need more homes uh, built in the area for, for, yeah. for families. Uh, and you're talking so, about a developer holding on to a, a deposit for almost a, a year as a result of all of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, but those homes have risen in price since then, Michael, as well. So um, I'm sure those people are very anxious to move into those homes um, as, as quickly as possible. OK, I'm sure they are. Uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, that there's very little else on their mind at this stage and that uh, they would like some clarity. I'm sure they deserve it, too. Uh, but Stephen, we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning on the programme. As always, Stephen McKee, Fianna Fáil Councillor on Meath County Council. Uh, and we'll bring you more on that if we do hear uh, from the developer in uh, the coming days. Uh, just to some more of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, Brian Hanratty texting us uh, saying the government should locate the National Apprenticeship Centre in Drogheda as a token of its commitment uh, to the implementation of uh, the Giran recommendations. Uh, another text then about Navin Hospital. This comes to us from Seamus, who's in Navin, and he says the country's hospitals are under huge pressure because of COVID, and uh, they're talking about closing the intensive care unit and uh, the emergency department in Navin. It just doesn't make sense to Seamus. Seamus says, I think they need every bed that is available. The Lord's Hospital can't cope, so where are these patients from Navin supposed to go? Does anybody know the answer to that? He wants to know. Thank you indeed. Uh, I think uh, from the correspondence that we've seen, uh, in relation uh, to all of this uh, from the HSE, uh, it seems uh, to be uh, that uh, it's uh, the Matter Hospital uh, that uh, seems uh, to uh, be the place where people will be going. Um, we've just uh, received a statement from uh, Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, uh, who says the Minister for Health instructed the Secretary General of the Department of Health that all moves on the reconfiguration plans by the HSE are to be paused immediately. This is in response to our questions about Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. The Minister says it was not acceptable for any changes to happen in the manner that were reported. The Minister is clear that 
what is needed for any changes to be made in comprehensive consultation with the elected representatives of the communities and clinicians at the hospital, including details of all proposed investment in healthcare services in the region. Subsequently, the Minister gave the same instruction directly to the HSE. Our thanks uh, to the HSE for that. Uh, I'm not sure. I think there may be some confusion uh, in uh, our email system uh, in that I'm being told that it was sent to us last night. I'm only seeing it now for the first time as I'm reading it to you. And it is a very significant statement. It is a very significant piece of news. Uh, Apologies uh, that I'm bringing it to you late. Uh, That certainly wasn't intentional or known to me. Uh, But I'll read it again for you because it is such a significant piece of news. It means the short version of it is that the minister has instructed the HSE to stop any moves to close the emergency department. uh, And the emergency department is safe for the moment. It says... Uh, This is it being issued on behalf of the Minister. A spokesperson says, The Minister for Health instructed the Secretary-General of the Department of Health that all moves on the reconfiguration plans by the HSE in relation to Our Lady's Hospital in Navan are to be paused immediately. The Minister says it was not acceptable for any changes to happen in the manner that were reported. The Minister is clear that what is needed for any changes to be made is comprehensive consultation with elected representatives of the communities and clinicians at the hospital including details of all proposed investment in healthcare services in the region. Subsequently the Minister gave the same instruction directly to the HSE. So that's it. Any moves to close the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan have been parked. Uh, And that's a statement from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, and our thanks uh, to the department for issuing us with that statement. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, we're going to be living with uh, some of uh, the restrictions for some time to come. It seems, certainly, if uh, the advice of uh, the CMO is uh, to be followed, reports this morning say uh, that uh, Dr. Tony Hoolan has advised uh, the government to keep. Uh, some of uh, the restrictions like masks, physical distancing and ventilation uh, in place until the middle of February next year at the earliest. Uh, let's talk to Paul Moynihan, who's the president of uh, the VFI, the Vintners Federation of Ireland. And uh, a very good morning to you, Paul, and thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I'm not sure what this will mean in terms of capacity or opening times for your members, but it, it looks as though the restrictions are going to stay in place and that you'll be looking for COVID certs from punters looking to gain access. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Yeah, I suppose we're back. The restrictions are we're supposed to to be lifted completely from Friday twelve o'clock midnight. Uh, we're now Tuesday. We're not sure where we stand. Um, majority of pubs are open, but there's a, an industry out there. The late night industry are waiting, sitting on their hands, not sure what's going to happen. They're not open yet, so like it is, it's very difficult in that part of the industry. But it's 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 difficult on on all publicans and staff as well because, as I say. The social distancing, our pubs are, we're probably working at 50, 60% capacity at the moment. Like, it's grand, it's all table service, but the heart of all pubs is the bar counter, and we're, we were looking, very looking forward to trying to get the bar counter back. And we're still hoping that that might come back. The vaccine certs, I think, have worked fairly well. Um, and I, I feel that customers are comfortable in the, in the environment that where vaccine certs are being checked. Mm. And so, like, I, I don't see that as a huge issue going forward. But at uh, the bar counter, to me, and probably the, 
we have a curfew from 11 o'clock. We're trying to get that back to, to where it was, would have been at the weekend, would have been a curfew from, say, closing time at half 12 mm. out by 1 o'clock. So we're hoping to get a, a movement on that too. Okay. Uh, so would, would, would that be enough in it itself? Well, listen, it's all a help. Like we were yeah. very, if you said probably last Monday week, yesterday week, they were speaking that all restrictions are going to be lifted. Yeah. So things have changed so much in a week. So I don't know. I think I've seen this before. Though. <laughs> Take closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the was the changes. Things tended to change for the worst. All right now, but um, but listen, we have to fight our corner. We have to try and get our businesses back to full capacity. And and and, and I say, and up around your part of the country as well. People are going across the border. Across the border in Northern Ireland, it's 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 full swing. Everything is back to normal. So like, um, people are socialising. In, up there anyway you know what I mean so we've got to try and look after them in a safe environment as much as we can and, and mm. as for ventil- ventilation this ventilation has been thrown out there but we've given no we've been given no advice on what ventilation we need for our pubs like say mm. so we're going in the dark here we're trying to work it out ourselves like but mm. but there is no actually direct uh, um, information about what we need to do I take it uh, that will come later in, in the day uh, as well uh, a, a warning uh, about uh making sure that people actually have COVID certs out because there's a lot of concern I think about that Paul and I'm sure you've heard it yourself a lot of people are saying they've been in a lot of places and never asked uh, for their cert uh, and uh, the government is uh, going to look for greater enforcement of that if it continues. Yeah, I think it should be a level playing field for everybody. If, if one has to ask for it, I think everybody should ask for it. Mm. And actually, it's up to the public to come with us on this. Like, And I think, like I found when when, when I started looking for it first, people were coming to the door with their phones open, ready to to, mm. to, to have their search for So I think it's just a matter of reinforcing that issue back into people's heads that they need to do it again. Now, in fairness, in a local area, I think what I've done, all, all I've had to do is look at my locals. In fact, search once, and then I'm sure I knew they had it, like, and I had it mm. kind of written down somewhere that, that maybe, maybe that, that that person was was covered. So like, it's not as if you have to have it every day of the week, but it's just when you're in a, an area that you're not known, maybe you would need it. But um, I didn't find that overly onerous on 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 staff or or myself mm. or my customer. So. I don't think that's the end of the world, but as I said, I come back to the fact that the bar counter has really been missed. And if there, like, if you have ninety-two percent of people vaccinated and all vaccinated people are in the pub, I think it's very important to try and get the bar counter back. And and some pubs, and you'll know them yourself, mm. Michael. It's sure it's nearly all a bar counter. Like, say, there's a big long bar counter, and that's where everybody mm. kind of is the heart of it. So, like, it's very important to try and get that back into play. Would you think most pubs are asking for COVID certs or not? Because an awful lot of people are telling us it doesn't mm. matter where they go they're not being asked for COVID cert yeah I think I think there's been a bit of um, tiredness has got into this whole situation I think as the as we got closer to the date of say next Friday where people thought as I said to you earlier on that yeah. last week we thought we were going to be fully open next week if people got to listen so we're going to be open next mm. week it's going to be okay but I think it's probably a little bit now we have to take a step back and we've got to look at this again like yeah. I said and, and like I'm for it. I think it should yeah. be a level playing field for all publicans and all, all staff. I'm mm. sure. Listen, it's not fair to put staff at danger either. Like, yeah. so we got to yeah. try and do this right. Like, and I say, from a customer's point of view, I find the vast majority of people are trying. Mm. And I say, I know there's there's a cohort out there that aren't vaccinated and they are going to. They are, and actually, they were ready for next Friday and come back and tell us, "Oh, listen, we'd never needed it till it's grand now." Like, so, like it's it's um, yeah. it's it's a but I, I really would, and I'd ask all staff and publicans and and the public in general to to adhere to this yeah. for the well, vaccine. Well, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, "Well, I'm not going to the pub." 
Um, you know, I'd like to go to the pub. I'd feel safe if they were asking for desserts. Uh, but I, I went into a couple of places. I walked back out, uh, and you know, I don't. Uh, are you hearing from customers who want you to be looking for COVID certs from people because they don't want to be in, in a pub if the pub is allowing people in if they haven't been vaccinated? well out there for all customers but I can tell you from my own experience that when probably this time last week we started talking about coming out next Friday that things were going to change and a lot of my customers were saying that to me God I'm not sure about sitting here if I didn't know that people were vaccinated so I think there is a little bit of a worry and I felt that that, that maybe going forward especially in the winter months when we are confined like it was grand when we opened up fully I think it was the 9th of June Michael I spoke to you just before that like mm-hmm. it was all a, a lot of outside space we had all the doors windows wide open like mm-hmm. it was very airy people are very comfortable in the outside spaces but now we're in the middle of November mm-hmm. or middle of October heading for November so like things change we've got to get get back inside we're still going to have a lot of ventilation here your doors mm-hmm. windows probably have to be open as much as possible but I said I think being vaccinated mm-hmm. is very very important and I said I think it makes mm-hmm. people comfortable and to try and follow uh, adhere to, to the guidelines as much as possible like and mm-hmm. keep your, your masks on when you're going to the toilets and, and, and moving around the pub I think I think people felt comfortable in it when it was when it was adhered to but I, I come back to the fact that yeah. if everybody followed the guidelines it'd be easier for everybody to enforce them yeah well, that's easier said than done as well, of course, Paul, uh, and we know why, uh, because some people uh, can be very troublesome. Uh, but I, I've also heard it said, uh, and, you know, I'm not trying to rile you with this, but I've heard it said uh, that the pubs are just being greedy and that's why they're letting people in, because if uh, they ask for the COVID certs all of the time, uh, they'd have to refuse people and they don't want to refuse business. Uh, is there any truth in that, do you think? You know, I've seen reports from the HSE, HSA, and they, they've been quite... Um, happy with the way this has been um, enforced by publicans. So, like they're they're saying, it's up to ninety five percent adherence to to the guidelines. So, like, mm. so maybe um, I don't know. Mm. There are going to be issues, but uh, say maybe the, there has to be more kind of checking on on enforcement. And I say going forward, and maybe it will help. And but listen, all I can talk yeah. about my own. I, I'm a lot more comfortable myself in an area that I know that that's yeah. vaccinated, and, yeah, and yeah. I try to do my. Oh, I myself. know, and, uh, and I'm sure that uh, you would only uh, allow people who have been vaccinated in yourself. Uh, but for those who don't, uh, what about the idea of sanctions or fines or something like that uh, as uh, an encouragement? The threat of it, if I might, uh, encourage people to look for the COVID certs. Yeah, I think people want to come. This is where this is, comes back to the fact, Michael, that we're all in this together. Public, mm-hmm. public, and staff. We're all on the same page here. I say, but as I say, we probably thought we were coming to the end of it for next Friday. Mm-hmm. That was going to be yeah. it. We're going to, have to see no more vaccination starts. So maybe there was that little bit of of tiredness started to creep in. That say, Asher, mm-hmm. listen, it's all over next week. But mm-hmm. now this has changed in the last week. So we have to book up we have to look at it again now mm. this is restaurants it's cafes everything it's not just pubs so like say it's all social like the, the hospitality industry is all affected by this so we yeah. all have to kind of look at it together and yeah, and you're, you were and talking about go, you're sorry yeah. Paul you're talking about the bar and I think a lot of people would be happier sitting at the bar or standing mm. at the bar if yeah. everybody at the bar was vaccinated than yeah. at a, a table of six if everybody wasn't vaccinated or yeah. that yeah. wasn't necessarily well, I'd, I'd be on the same yeah. page as you there like, and, and, and I'd say that's where we'd hope to get to like and I said, all we can do is, is try our best, and, and, and like it's very important to try and bring the, the public with us in this, like and say, and um, and, and and keep moving forward. Listen, mm. it's not going away. I don't know if we're, we're eighteen months later, or maybe even further now. I think it's, it's kind of for twenty months, and we're still talking about it. Like, and it's yeah. it's um, 
we we're at ninety two percent vaccination rates now. I think in adult people, like, and, uh, and we're still talking. I think we, if you said that six months ago, if we got to eighty percent, it would have been gone by now. Like, so, so we're still we're still talking about it, and it hasn't gone away. So we have to deal with what's in front of us, and and um, please God, like, we'll get out the other side of it. And what about that small minority of people who, who won't get vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are they giving uh, your staffs uh, some stick? Uh, we've heard some incidents uh, of uh, abuse. Uh, at doors when people have been asked for certs or have been refused entry? Yeah, I haven't heard too much of it, but of, of course there are individual cases of that, Like, but um, but I, I definitely have refused people myself in my, in my pub, so like, it, 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 is, it is there. And, um, um, difficult to do at the same time, though. Yeah, it is yeah. difficult when you know the people yeah. you're dealing with are their neighbours and friends Like sometimes. like so. Um, but, but I think if we were going to try and do it right, and say, I think if everybody tried a little bit harder on this and uh, say... We might get out get out of it quicker. Like I don't know, mm. but um, that's yeah. a personal opinion. Like, but it's it's not an easy it's not an easy feat dealing with your neighbours and friends and this and that. All right. Okay. Well, instead of uh, table service to tables of six only, mm. you'd like to see more people at more tables uh, at the bar, uh, but that everybody would be vaccinated and they would have to have their certs to get in. Well, it's the best of a, of a bad situation. I yeah. think it would be, be a great move forward, all right. All right, well, we'll find out in the yeah, uh, next couple of hours, I think, Paul. But uh, thanks uh, indeed. Thank you very much, uh, Paul Moynihan, who's the president of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, let's speak uh, to Professor Jack Lambert of UCD School of Medicine. Good morning to you once again, uh, Professor Lambert, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, We're expecting some very significant uh, announcements uh, from government uh, in the next couple of hours. Uh, What would you hope they will be saying? Well, um, I I would hope we come up with a plan for living with COVID, which we've never come up with. We keep on waiting to the last minute and making decisions based on numbers. Um, rather than tackling numbers. So I'm hoping we'll open up safely and we can't throw away caution to the wind. But, um, and I think it was unrealistic for them to say, you know, knowing what's happened in every other country across the world, to say that all of a sudden, the end of October, we'll throw away masks, we'll throw away social distancing, everything will be open, no more COVID vaccine passports. That's not a realistic expectation moving into the winter months of where flu and COVID is going to surge. So I'm hoping they'll say open up safely. Mm. Uh, Have we been acting safely up to now? We were just speaking with the VFI about uh, the number of people reporting to have gone into pubs and restaurants and not being asked for those COVID certs. Exactly. We're not we're not doing it right. So, so, you know, so that's the thing. I, I went into a pub this weekend and I had two of us. We had our COVID certs. We just kind of flashed them. They gave them back to us. Nobody checked them. I could have had, you know, I could have, I could have reproduced it illegally. It could be somebody else's COVID vaccine passport. So no, we have to do it right. So there's government responsibility for allowing, allowing us to open up safely and give us guidance on what's safe. And then there's responsibility of the Irish population to do it right and the pub owners to enforce it because otherwise. The numbers will go up, and we, you know, we are at risk of of circulating COVID again, because uh, vaccines are vaccine coverage is going down. Mm. Um, people, you know, so so there's lots of reasons to open up, but open up safely and put together a whole package of you know COVID mitigation strategies and booster vaccination. That's what we need to do going forward, probably for years to come. Okay, uh, and does that mean opening up more and to more people? Uh, but people who have been vaccinated? 
Well, I, I think it has to be, as the first step, it needs to be people who are vaccinated. But even understanding, even if you're vaccinated, there's still breakthrough vaccinations. Mm. People are going to need boosters, and it's not just all about vaccinations. I think hand-washing, social distancing, good ventilation, and mass etiquette is going to have to be continued to, in the appropriate situation be part of the solution. Okay, I suppose that's uh, the answer to the question. I was wondering uh, about uh, the current rules, let's say the uh, maximum of six people at a a table and needing to wear masks before coming to that table or going to the toilets and that sort of thing. That should continue, should it? I think so. If you go to the toilet with 10 10 strangers and you take off your mask and you're in a crowded toilet, uh, a men's toilet urinal, I mean, is it safe to not have a mask on? The answer is no. I would never do that. Should you be dancing with a, a mask if they open nightclubs? You know, you know, this is this is the challenge. This mm. is the challenge. You know, there's, 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 is this practical and feasible? So, so yeah. So the, the, there, there's some answers that are definite, yes and no. Mm. Some answers that are contextual. So I think, I think, you know, that that we have to do everything we can to make sure people coming into nightclubs are COVID-free, and, and whether that's 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 a, a vaccine passport, that's antigen testing, that's checking to make sure they don't have symptoms. You know, there's lots of things. And then when they're not in the, the dance, I think it's probably unrealistic to wear a mask on the dance table and <laughs> on the dance floor. But when they're congregating in the toilets, when they're circulating around, do they, should they do that? I mm. would do it as, mm. as part of my personal responsibility and compromise, you know, being, you know, being out socially. Um, and I think a, a mask, and uh, you know, is, is a small price to pay for being able to open up safely. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some very fundamental questions, aren't there? I mean, if you go to a nightclub and you're out dancing with or without a mask and you meet somebody, should you be kissing them? I know, I know. There's lot. I mean, I mean, look, we have to live safely with COVID. We have yeah. to get on with life. We can't keep on saying... Um, don't allow this place to open, but do allow that place to open. Mm. Don't allow outdoor, you know, music events, but allow outdoor, you know, stadiums filled with people with no masks. You know, we're, we're, there's so many inconsistencies. Uh, we need clear guidance and direction and support from the government. Mm. And that hasn't happened. Um, and we also need it to be enforced by uh, the people in Ireland who are given that guidance. Okay, and boosters. Uh, to whom? Well, um, I, I, I said this months ago. You know, we should be we should be giving it to immunocompromised. We should give it give it to all elderly and, and care facilities. And we should be able to give it to all health workers. Mm. You know, yeah. we're already seeing we're already seeing breakthroughs in, in healthcare workers. Um, and you know, I think you know we're on the firing firing line. I think you know the the resources that have been afforded to, to healthcare workers. There's less of us than last year. Mm. We've been working continuously. I think healthcare workers need to be vaccinated, immunocompromised need to be vaccinated, and then, you know, over 65 in healthcare, you know, in uh, care homes. We're already seeing outbreaks there, um, you know, but we need to make it easy. Um, my HIV positive patients are getting letters, so open swords for your booster vaccination. Uh, you know, I mean, this is not, we need to have a system set up to make it user friendly for everybody to be vaccinated in a rapid fashion in the next two weeks would be my my suggestion uh, rather than, you know, taking months and months to roll this out. Okay, and should it continue after that? Uh, uh, should there be a look at, at what vaccines people uh, have received uh, if you're more protected uh, after getting Pfizer or Moderna than you would be if you had AstraZeneca or uh, the Johnson? Yeah, there's clear evidence. 
I mean, I've just reviewed the data from the UK, the data from Israel. There's clear data that vaccine antibodies, they're, left, they're dropping off if people are less protected. Now, the good news is the vaccines are still preventing against, you know, serious ICU cases, ser- you know, serious complications and that. If people still get infected, they're still getting sick. If they're healthcare workers, they're going to be out of work all winter, but mm. we need them to be at work. So we need to vaccinate them and the immunocompromised, obviously. They need to continue to come to the hospital and get their health care safely. Um, and that's not going to happen if, they, if, they, if they don't have protective antibody levels. So it's a moving target. We take too long to make decisions in Ireland. We keep on saying, oh, NIAC is going to be reviewing this next week and we'll come up with a recommendation. Uh, a month from now, the UK started joint, you know, COVID and flu vaccinations months ago at walk-in centres. You know, we should be thinking in July what we're going to do in October, not thinking in October what we're going to roll, roll out November, December when the cat's out of the bag, which is my concern um, repeatedly with mm. the, the COVID plan in Ireland. We just seem to be racked into crisis not planning systematically for, you know, a living with COVID strategy. Okay. Uh, the strategy, uh, in part, that seems to be uh, advised to the government is to con- continue with the restrictions until February. Uh, I, I guess there's uh, this terrible fear that the health service will be overwhelmed, uh, a fear that uh, we've seen restrictions put in place because of uh, before. But would you agree with that, that we should be talking about COVID certs and uh, limited capacity and face masks and all of that kind of thing until February? I think we need to continue to live safely and that's part of the solution. That's the way masks work to keep the vaccines, to keep the, uh, you know, keep the transmission down. And vaccines that are efficacious work to keep people from getting infected and or critically unwell. So yes, I would agree with that. But setting a target for February, February is the middle of winter. I, I, I think it might be springtime, you know, mm. before we're, we're kind of out of the woods. In the meantime, we, we, we should be putting together a plan to, like I said, a, a, a safe plan to give to, you know, venues that are opening in the community, give them safe guidance on what to do and give them support. And I talk to the people who are trying to open up and they haven't given that guidance from the government. So we need we need strict, you know, really strong guidance and then enforcement of that guidance for the next six months till we get through the winter months would be my thinking. What do you think of uh, the moral and ethical considerations uh, that we're told we should consider when it comes uh, to boosters uh, about uh, countries uh, where people, uh, whether they're uh, immunocompromised or working on the front line or elderly will not get a, a vaccine for years to come or months to come at least uh, uh, and uh, that will be delayed out further if we give boosters to people who have already been vaccinated. Uh, I think uh, Mike Ryan of the World Health Organisation described it uh, as like putting a life jacket on top of a life jacket. Yeah, well the issue is that we're 18 months into this pandemic we're 12 months into vaccine availability. Remember the first vaccines became available you know, about December, January of last year. So we're almost a year into it. This is a scale-up capacity thing. You know, we should have mass vaccination going on, sorry, mass, you know, production of vaccines all over the world. We shouldn't be saying, you can get the vaccine, you can't get the vaccine. We, we need to have, this is a production issue. Mm. So, I mean, I'm not going to get into the, the, the morals of that. Why are we not making more vaccines? That would be my question. 
Okay. Professor Jack Lambert of UCD School of Medicine, I think you probably know a, a lot more uh, about uh, how viruses uh, transmit and uh, the danger from coronavirus uh, for all of us than most people would. Uh, and there's a lot of people who have a lot of things to say about this. Uh, maybe you'd uh, take a minute to address uh, some of those uh, who've decided that they're not going to get vaccinated, particularly if uh, they've been hearing things about global population and uh, depopulating uh, the world uh, and that there's very rich people uh, who want to see fewer people in the world or put microchips in us to uh, control us uh, and some of these mm-hmm. other theories that we've been hearing about. Maybe you'd uh, speak to those people for a moment, right. if you wouldn't mind. Well, well, you know, I've seen the, the, the disaster of not having vaccinations. I've worked in Haiti where you've got 25% of kids vaccinated against measles. 75% of kids get the measles and they, and they die. Polio, they die. So, so we all get our kids vaccinated at two, four, and six months. Um, it's made such a world of difference. You know, before vaccines were available in my family, one of my, my, my parents' children, you know, brothers and sisters died in both sides of the family because of a vaccine-preventable infection. A generation ago, people died of, vac- of infections that were vaccine-preventable. Let's just look at COVID no differently than that. COVID has been politicized. I understand that. But this should just be looked at like like every other, you know, vaccine that we have that has been life-saving. The success of vaccines so far, there are side effects, there are rare side effects, but you have to kind of balance that. Every vaccine has a side effect. Flu has a side effect, one in six million paralysis. Polio has a, a, a side effect, you know, one in a million, you know, va- paralysis. But the benefits are tremendous. And I think we have to look at the COVID vaccines in, in the same way, they are preventive. And if you look at places that have rolled out COVID vaccines, there's a tenfold decrease incidence of serious complications. You know, people ended up in ICU, people ended up dying. Look at the numbers in Ireland. I admitted three patients today to the Matra Hospital. You know, they're, they're, it's, a different, it's a different disease than it was 18 months ago because of the vaccine. So I would just encourage people to take the vaccine. If you choose not to be used, take the vaccine. Use the other COVID mitigation strategies, the hand washing, the masks, because they're important as well. But I would encourage people to, to, to listen to the science, not listen to the spin in Dr. Google. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that expert uh, opinion. I hope people hear it loud and clear. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. That's uh, Professor Jack Lambert of UCD School of Medicine. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Brendan Noon joins us for the report this week from Kells Garda Station and we're going to begin with uh, the tragic news of a, a fatal traffic collision that occurred overnight. Good morning, Michael. Good morning to you, Garda. We're uh, going to begin with uh, that fatal road traffic collision uh, that happened in Kells. That's right. Unfortunately, uh, last night at about 9.30pm in Carneros, a car that was travelling from Kells towards Carneros collided with the back of the truck. And unfortunately, a man in his 30s uh, was pronounced deceased at the scene. Um, his remains were removed to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Navin for post-mortem. Uh, the R147 is currently closed, but uh, the Garda Forensic Collision investigation has been completed, so 
that road uh, should be open shortly and local diversions are in place at the moment. Okay, and this coincides um, with uh, a guard campaign uh, for road safety uh, and unfortunately it's uh, uh, it coincides with that, as I say, the timing uh, a, a bit unfortunate, but I do know you want to uh, make mention of uh, that this week. Uh, yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, unfortunately, we have another family this morning who are dealing with the consequences um, of what is happening on the roads at the moment, and unfortunately there has been an increase in um, fatal and serious collisions during uh, 2021. And with that, we've uh, launched Operation That appears as though the line has gone down on us. Uh, we'll try to restore that line and come back uh, to the Garda crime desk uh, while we try to do that. Uh, perhaps I've time to bring you some of the many comments coming to us because a lot of people have been in touch with us. And thank you indeed uh, to everybody who has taken the time, as always, uh, to make contact and share their thoughts with us. David has been on the phone to us and he says that he's fully vaccinated. He has been since March and he'd like to die a free man. He's sick to death listening to our government dictating to vaccinated people that we should protect the HSE. It should be the HSE protecting us. It was uh, the government who cut the jobs in the HSE and ran it down into the ground. Why are we vaccinated if it's not doing the job? We are being told since way back in 2020 that in a few weeks it'll be gone. The COVID is not going away and the government has no right to dictate uh, to people who have been vaccinated as it shouldn't bother us if uh, the vaccine is working. Uh, I think you're probably misinformed or um, confused uh, somewhat, uh, David, or maybe missed uh, some of what was being said uh, because uh, I think we were all advised to get vaccinated and that it would help. Uh, it was never going to be the solution uh, to the problem. And we were always told that there could be breakthroughs and indeed that we're going to be living with COVID for a very long time and that uh, we have to live with it all together best we can. Uh, I'm not sure um, I understand uh, what you're saying about uh, the mis-messaging or mixed messaging. I think uh, the messaging has been on point right through. Um, Raid is in Drogheda. Raid has uh, been in touch with us uh, saying there is nothing more that I would like to see than the restrictions lifted and to get back to normal life again. But we have to be realistic. She says, I think we need to hold off, especially with nightclubs. As at that stage of the night, people will have had a few drinks and all caution goes out the window. And we all know there'll be no social distancing. We do not want to go backwards and we can enjoy some sort of life now with what is in place and maybe wait until after Christmas to end all of the restrictions. Thanks, uh, Mairead, uh, for that. Uh, I know I can't wait to get back dancing myself, uh, but uh, maybe you have a, a point. Uh, and th- thanks for sharing your point with us. Uh, John in touch with us uh, about Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, and he says they'll be pausing the closure, but for how long, Michael? They're always trying to downgrade Navan. Well, it's been in that uh, report since 2013, John, and the board it seems, from the documentation decided in July to close the emergency department and with that the ICU beds. But, uh, as we've heard now this morning from uh, the Minister for Health, that decision has been halted. The Minister has uh, directed the HSE to end any move to close the emergency department, at least until consultation takes place. And we'll hear more about that, I'm sure, in the coming days. Uh, I think we've uh, established or re-established uh, the line with Garda Brendan Noon and Kells Garda Station uh, again. Uh, and you were to tell us about this road safety initiative uh, that is underway by Angarnashia Conan. 
Yeah, sorry, Michael. Um, so, yeah, so well, as I was saying, um, there's a multi-agency approach um, towards uh, increasing safety on the road, and uh, particularly um, in th- this time of the year with poor weather and things like that, um, we, we need to be checking our tyres, we need to be checking uh, our windscreen wipers, making sure we have plenty of water in the reserves. And what we'll also be doing is we'll be tackling, tackling behaviours such as speeding, the usage of seat belts, mobile phone usage whilst driving, and of course uh, driving whilst intoxicated, which is still happening in, in this day and age, which is unbelievable. Mm. But uh, so we'd be challenging that through increased enforcement, and the Road Safety Authority will be uh, rolling out an education campaign about that. Okay, very good. Uh, speaking of safety, we're all hoping uh, that at this time of the year everybody will have a happy and a safe Halloween. Of course, it's a great time for the kids and what have you, but uh, there's also increases in um, antisocial behaviour right across uh, Loud and Mead, unfortunately. Much of it firework uh, orientated. And um, fireworks are illegal, uh, they're dangerous and they can cause serious injury. And I just I want people to be uh, aware um, and aware of their youngsters uh, being out and about because this negative um, behaviour really affects the neighbourhood in which they live and uh, the general community and vulnerable people um, we're, we're getting phone calls from vulnerable people who are very anxious at this time of the year and of course it causes problems for for animals as well mm, yeah. uh, bonfire safety is a big thing um, off, uh, the, the emergency departments in the various hospitals will meet uh, people who unfortunately are injured uh, whilst attending bonfires and of course uh, firework related injuries and that and uh, they can be serious uh, they can cause uh, losses of, of, of limbs and things like that so again uh, urge caution around uh, uh, attending bonfires and we're asking the public as well to contact the Gardaí or the council where, uh, they reckon, where they believe maybe that bonfires have been built or where material has been gathered for the building of bonfires uh, specifically me County Council they can be contacted on 046-909-7200 and if you just press option 6 there you get through to the appropriate uh, department there fairly uh, fairly quickly. Very good. Uh, and indeed uh, could make life a lot safer for people if uh, they do decide to do that. Now we've a, a number of burglaries to report on this week. Yeah, a couple of things we're going to talk about here uh, occurred on the 14th and the 15th of uh, October this year. So just to bear those uh, dates uh, in mind when we speak about these. And there's two burglaries that were linked uh, in the Trim district. Uh, One uh, occurred in Ratmaline in Trim, where a rear window was uh, entered into a house and a significant um, amount of personal um, valuables and sentimental those with sentimental uh, value to um, the owners uh, were stolen. And that same day then uh, at Galtrim in Summerhill, similarly a house was entered, but it was entered this time through the front door. Some glass was broken and the lock was undone. And the significance of it is that it appears that, you know, given the geography and that, that probably um, there is somewhat of a likelihood that it may have been the same group of people uh, that perpetrated both burglaries. And uh, it appears that the window may have been between three o'clock and five o'clock. So, you know, with people still kind of working from home and hanging on to that hope, indeed, uh, they may have noticed some suspicious activity uh, in those areas um, during uh, the, the 14th of um, 14 October, I think it was Thursday. Um, just, just anything at all, yeah. you know, I mean, these people, they have to spend a bit of time surveying and what have you. So if something looked out of the ordinary, don't be relying on someone else to contact 
uh, the Gardaí there in trim about these things because okay. uh, look at a little nugget of information might just sort it out we'll right. solve it that's 046-948-1540 if people have information uh, we've run out of time unfortunately if uh, people have information about any of those crimes or any other crimes uh, the Garda Confidential Line is one 800 one we have to leave it there as they say but thank you indeed Garda Brendan Noon of Kells Garda Station that's our programme for today God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.